0: Welcome to Fixing Chicago, a podcast focused on what right looks like and how to achieve peace, educate the kids, restore vitality, and reinvent Chicago for success into and through the 21st century today we are excited and proud to present as our second guest ever on the podcast a history teacher who is known locally as uh as a tremendous teacher for junior high students uh recently retired mr john turek john welcome to the podcast good
1: afternoon paul how are you
0: i am great i am great thank you how are you i'm doing well excellent
1: hanging out here in el paso texas
0: And, and what brings you to el paso Uh, My youngest
1: son, James, is um, here. He's currently at uh, Fort Bliss as uh, um, First Lieutenant of the Army, so it's always like to do that. Um, He was supposed to be going to uh, Philadelphia, someplace in Michigan, Oklahoma City, um, to help with um, uh, refugees. But the Army being the Army, they hurried up and waited, and then they changed their minds, so He'll be doing, he'll be going someplace later in the month. So I'm just hanging out here watching his dog, and we're watching the dog together.
0: All right. Well, a little quality father-son time, and, and he is one of three children you have that are in the military currently?
1: That is correct. That is correct. My oldest, a uh, Marine captain, and my daughter recently, um Navy lieutenant. So she's in South Carolina.
0: How amazing! How amazing! All right, John. Well, for today's listening audience, please would you be so kind as to just give a little bit of background on yourself, where you were raised, and uh, uh, and so forth.
1: Sure, uh, I was uh, born in Chicago back in uh, late sixty one. So I'll give you that if you want to do the math. Um, lived for a couple of you know early years on the uh, West Side on Lake and um, Austin. And then my folks moved to Elmond Park, and we moved into Oak Park. Currently, um, Oak Park, we had like three houses. We moved around a lot, one step ahead of the law, apparently. And then uh, currently live with my uh, lovely wife, Mary, in um, Forest Park. So western suburbs to the near west, just outside the um, city limits.
0: Great. And it is important to stay one step ahead of the law as best as one can. Very much so. All right. Well, where did you get? Uh, where did you get educated? Where did you go to school?
1: I went to um, for grammar school St. Catherine's over on Austin in Washington. Um, one of my teachers had uh, Bob Newhart as a student, so she was that old. Those nuns live forever. They do.
0: Yeah. Went to Ascension
1: um, Catholic School in Oak Park as well, and then after that. Park River Forest High School for one year. And my mom said, you've had enough. And then I went to uh, Ignatius um, in the city where my uh, older brother was. And then um, Marquette for a year for college. Same kind of situation. Uh, money ran out. And then I um, finished up at Loyola University of Chicago.
0: Outstanding. You, absolutely. My alma mater as well. Woo-hoo. Yeah. All right. And then how did you decide to go into education, what was it that drew you to the field?
1: Um, I always liked um, kind of not telling people what to think or those kinds of things, but I've always enjoyed working with um, groups and kind of, in a way, teaching them. So I was a a baseball coach for, for years before I got into teaching. And I kind of really liked that the situation where here's some information that I have that I think is going to be Helpful to you, so a uh, particular sport, and then I kind of thought, hey, maybe I could do this in um, uh, in a classroom setting. All right. uh, had had a couple of really good teachers, not a lot, but a few, and I thought, you know, I I, I could do that. Um, Some really good history teachers at uh, um, Ignatius, so that kind of worked out well. So kind of, I was always a good reader. So my mom made us sure that we were reading before kindergartens that kind of helped. And that definitely opens up um, uh, your life as well for those things that you're interested in. So I was always interested in um, um, kind of sharing information, sharing information.
0: All right. And then when you graduated college, you started working as a teacher. Was it at Ascension?
1: No, no. Uh, After college took a couple of years, off, kind of like retired early, <laughs> and then I went, uh, a situation opened up at St. James Catholic School, 29th and Wabash, um, and they recently uh, just sort of tore down the church because it was falling out, but it was the oldest uh, black Catholic uh, parish in the city, so I got a, um, I think my mother knew the principal, so I've been living with connections, which worked out well. Um, So I taught there for two years and then something at Ascension opened up um, where I graduated uh, eighth grade and that worked out really well. I had some uh, good co-workers. Uh, I had a terrific principal who kind of let me do not what I wanted to, but allowed me to kind of teach the class in a a way that wasn't strictly uh, like out of the book. So it was history class. So I really enjoyed that. And that kind of hooked me then to kind of improve um, my, um, we'll say, you know, uh, the education that I needed to go further in terms of like master's degrees, that kind of thing. So.
0: And then did you go and get a master's degree?
1: I do. I have a master's in reading instruction. All right. And my college degree, I'm an English major, much like yourself.
0: Yes, sir. But then I think
1: I teach history as if it's an English course where there's reading and writing and analysis involved. And that I think that makes the subject come a little bit more alive than just answering questions out of the back of the book, which I don't do.
0: Oh, good. Thank God.
1: So, yeah,
0: Nothing more dreary days. than just memorizing dates and answering dates.
1: Exactly. It's not just names and dates and I I stress that to the parents as well
0: when I was teaching. But All right. Well, so my and then you taught after Ascension, you taught at a public school in Oak Park, in Oak Park.
1: I uh, taught at Longfellow where I went to kindergarten, um, taught there for about 10 years and then went to uh, Ju- Percy Julian Middle School um, from 05 until I recently retired last year. And I highly recommend that for those of you who
0: can't. Oh, so. <laughs> wonderful. Well, so my first question for you today, John, is, is why history? Kids have to, uh, they have to listen to, I mean, they have to uh, go to class in history every year, it seems, throughout the entire educational process. And what about history is so important that we should devote so much time to that?
1: Good question, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think the history is, is it's not so much what you teach, it's certainly how you teach it as well. So there's that philosophy. Um, you need to make it pertinent and make it connected to uh, certainly current students' lives. Um, but I think the history is important of anything, whether it's local history or your national history or cultural history. I, I really believe you really need to know it. So then you can formulate other opinions about other people's histories and not just to say mine's better than yours, but definitely to have informed opinions on how to go forwards and not necessarily repeat mistakes because that's going to happen anyways. But to, um, um, to, to see how. Your history, as well as somebody else's history, definitely matters as we kind of try to coexist in this—I um, to say—shrinking world that we have now, with all the uh, telecommunications available. And I am—I am not on social media, but I hear it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a thing now.
1: Yeah, is it okay? Yeah, I, did, I let it pass me by.
0: Ah, well, that's all. That's fortunate. Well. I approach the subject of why is history important from a, uh, from a biological perspective. And mm-hmm. if you'll indulge me, I'd like to share that one. Please do, yes. Ah, well, as a species, homo sapiens, us, we're the only ones out there who don't encode the majority of our survival skills into our DNA. How so? Well, most of our survival skills are learned. Oh. From our parents, from our tribal elders, from people that were before us. A bird will migrate based on instinct. Humans don't have that same kind of instinctual understanding of what to do in order to survive. Now, definitely a baby bear needs to learn how to fish salmon from the river from their mama or papa bear. I think it's mostly the mama that teaches them but so. yeah but no other species to the same degree has to learn how to survive and how to coexist and how to move forward to nearly the same degree where quantum levels more so than any other <laughs> so i think of learning history as fundamentally important for our survival individually and collectively
1: i'm going to have to agree with you
0: uh
1: not that i wasn't going to anyways uh so that's if I may, how I start usually with the history that I was teaching, Um, kind of a cultural um, investigation. And we hit uh, those four ideas of customs, so all those things that are learned, Um, the values, what a certain culture um, considers to be important, and the institutions, so like the family, um, schools, hospitals, uh, religious ideas. And then finally, um, the beliefs, what they believe, what these cultures believe to be true. So, what you're saying, most of what we know historically comes from a cultural perspective. And this is where it's extremely important to understand your perspective, because especially today now, people disagree on, on everything, as you've seen that. I mean, that's okay. That's why we, my beliefs might not be yours. So wh- how I try to kind of impart this understanding of your history, meaning like a room full of students, in every room, let's say I taught five classes a day, every room was different. So everybody had their own cultural history. And the idea was to, well, here's why you believe certain things, why you dress a certain way, why you, you know, visit certain people, have these customs. Because you were, like, as you said, you've been taught these. So we're the only species that is a summation of all the things we've been taught, which helps us understand, hopefully, that we can learn even more. So we're not done uh, with our history yet. So just because you close the book doesn't mean that the history is over. But I did try to get that to uh, my students on the importance of history and to why you really need to understand why you do the things you do. And then as I taught ancient cultures, same thing. So why they did the things they did and any connections or parallels that you can see today. And uh, hopefully many of the students saw those connections and were able to kind of make uh, informed decisions. And not just parroting what their parents have said, which is a form of cultural learning right there at the dinner table I'm going to impart my history to you by asking, hey, what'd you learn at school today? And then hopefully when you come into the building and we talk about yesterday, you're not just repeating, which is okay, though, repeating what your parents have said, but you're also saying, here's what I feel. Here's what I think is true. And hopefully it's based on some sound information. But as we know, we're bombarded by... um, alternative facts <laughs> yeah a couple of years so and it's but this is where the teaching of history comes in where you, you can kind of you know set yourself up build your armor and saying oh, i'm gonna let that in but i'm also gonna deflect it if i feel that it's um not true so i want to make sure that uh, the teaching of history is honest that's all we're looking for so doesn't seem anyway. like
0: too much to ask but
1: no, it really doesn't. So again, I, other kids can spout off you know, trivial facts of standing. I want you to understand why it's a fact and that it happened. And then can of continue with it in a way as you get older to kind of put it into your arsenal and then use it effectively, hopefully positively as well. So
0: it must be exciting with the junior high level kids as their cultures, values and beliefs and their understanding of institutions is gradually moving from the rote memory phase of mm-hmm. younger years into the more internalized and personalized phases of the young adulthood. You know, and Absolutely. watching them transform must have been, and being part of that transformation must have been pretty rewarding.
1: I'm not going to pat myself on the back, although I just did on screen. Um, but no, actually it was. That's why you kind of get into teaching. This is why you you do those things, just to see that growth. And um, yeah, hopefully they'll take it to the next step as well. So um, as they get older and, and then see different teachers as well, they're able to not say, oh, my teacher last year was so much better. But that's not the point. The point is like, well, I'm going to take what I have when I'm 12 apply it to now when I'm 13, eliminate those things that are no longer important to my growth, maybe absorb new things. So that's the whole idea is to see both perspectives or multiple perspectives, certainly
0: um, moving forwards. Well, I like it. What, uh, What would you say was your style in teaching or did it evolve over the years?
1: Um, it certainly evolved over the years, I guess. Uh, hopefully anybody's would. Because um, even though you would teach the same things, same subject, it's a different class. You know, the, the kids are different every year, even though you've got 30 in a room. It's like, this is a different group. Um, and that should then hopefully kind of spur in you uh, change. So... Um, Yeah, yeah. So I I I enjoyed seeing the the new kids every year, and then it kind of said, kind of form helped me to kind of change my approach each year too. So I do some of the same things, but then you kind of gauge the room. I go, yeah, I think uh, we'll try something different with this group of kids because it looks like they could feed more off of it instead of. So what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. So I would try to definitely look to see which. Classes, you know, morning or afternoon would uh, be better suited for a different style.
0: I see. Right. Right after lunch is a different style than first class of the day.
1: Ninth period is different than first period. Right. And you realize that right away. So you always you have to change um, your methods to kind of get your uh, point across. So.
0: All right. Well, since this is a Chicago based podcast and we're looking at uh, issues kind of central to Chicago and suburbs. Um, What kind of examples uh, in terms of history, whether it's cultures, values, institutions, or beliefs, do you think would help Chicagoans today, given the many and varied challenges that the city and region face?
1: Oh my God. Yeah. So I, I saw that. It's like, I don't, I don't know. We'll see what, uh, what happens. I mean that's a that's a tall order. But um, I well, that I do that's feel
0: how that. we roll on this podcast.
1: Yeah. We're, is that it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so when I saw that, I was like, well, it is. That's that's fairly broad. But I believe is let's say you're living in a a certain neighborhood of Chicago. So this is where Chicago is made up of these seventy seven different um, we'll say cultural
0: enclaves. Um, Great.
1: Absolutely, enclaves, groups, and um, each one of these neighborhoods gives has a sense of place. So you can go to Cleo's, and you can see the neighborhood around there, and then you can go to the north side, like Andersonville, and say, "Oh, all right." So it a, a different cultural idea in each of these neighborhoods, and I feel, and it's the way people move around nowadays, which is which is great. Movement's one of those human um, conditions the um, I think if you if you know the history of where you're living right now, you can see why certain things are the way they are, both positive and negative and you see certain things that you think aren't working. hopefully you'll take a look back and go well, why is it this way? why are we still having this issue here and you want to talk talk about crime in certain areas which I really don't want to get into in a way because there's so much behind it. But it is almost like it's a cultural mindset from 50, 60 years ago. Certain schools in certain neighborhoods don't do well, and they haven't been doing well for decades because it was designed that way. So you keep certain groups separate from other groups, and then you kind of let them fend for themselves where more educational dollars are going to say, higher performing areas if that makes any sense but that's so if you're, you're living in a certain area you should know the history as to why things are the way they are and if you do and you're looking for solutions then you can see where you need to start sometimes
0: you need to start
1: like, 60 years ago
0: I was gonna say 1940s and, right oh
1: my gosh so that's that's what it should come down to and you but the thing is that we you know I you said do like a mini unit on power and the types of power who has it. And the uh, the goal of anybody in power is to never lose it. So this power has been in there since 1940s, you know, post-World War II. And those in charge don't want to lose that power. So they're going to do everything they can to keep it totally disregarding the needs of the area.
0: And that's... um Sort of a reference, perhaps, to the famous Chicago machine.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's, yeah. I mean, that's just, this is why it's a machine. Um, sometimes you're in the machine. Sometimes you're certainly outside of it. And those in power just want to keep it. And you can still see if you uh, you know watch the local news. Um, some of the aldermen are really trying to do... Uh, uh, good works for their little, for their areas, for their wards. Uh, But they're coming across, you know, others who have been uh, kind of entrenched in the power structure, in the machine for so long that there's a certain way to do it. And if you don't have the kind of clout that uh, they used to talk about, then things might not uh, get done to your um, satisfaction.
0: Speaking That's, of that, there's a uh, interesting Chicago podcast. It's about five or six episodes on that subject called the Madigan Rule. Um, okay. Yeah, it's worth listening to, but it does discuss the sort of ability to develop power and the effort and uh, skill it took to maintain it. Yes. Yeah, it is. The,
1: but yeah, definitely a skill if you have those skills.
0: Um, but it leaves a lot of people out. Yes. And it leaves a lot of opportunity costs in terms of, uh, where a city could grow and develop.
1: Oh yeah. So that those who are in the middle, like I'm I'm comfortable, I'm going to keep it my way. And then with total disregard for those on the outside, because they're not helping me maintain my level of influence or power. Right. So yeah,
0: if I don't need you, I don't need you. You know, I was reading, uh, uh, a friend of mine sent me a couple of books, one on the St. Valentine's day massacre and the other on Al Capone's beer wars. Um, and it's fascinating to look at the organized crime history of Chicago and to see how since, you know, for over a century, it's been uh, a constant in the yes. landscape.
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the the, crime has shifted to kind of more individual kind of accumulation of like, I guess, wealth or prestige, as opposed to like back in the 20s and 30s, where it's like these um, well-organized cultural groups were trying to um, control the city in a way they do. You control the politics, you control the services provided, certainly both legal and illegal, um, control enforcement. That kind of thing. So this is why you can see where certain things aren't getting done in certain um, neighborhoods or wards uh, because of the
0: uh, influence that certain cultures had over um, the workings of the city. Well, so, I think it's so. a really rich area for people to look into because there's so much with this current moment in terms of social media and internet news and a 1001 TV stations Where there's so much info to take in, you can't get your arms around everything that's happening right now, and Mm. they all seem mysterious and solutions sometimes seem to be generated out of thin air, but as you look back into it, you find that these scenarios have been played over and over and over again, many times with the exact same playbook as they were 50 years ago. Yes, yes, Yes.
1: that's. Because it works for a certain group of individuals. And it's just going to, as you say, keep running the same place until they, whoever they are, overhaul the entire system.
0: Well, I know that one of your interests is ancient cultures. And I was lucky enough at Loyola to get to spend a semester in Rome. And one thing that Mm -hmm. shocked me was the realization in learning about ancient cultures, how many of the many of the things hadn't really changed that this is just sort of fundamental to how things get done and i wanted mm-hmm. to ask your thoughts on that subject yeah absolutely so we
1: mentioned before off camera um as you said like in ancient rome certainly the the whole uh republican structure uh patronage so you have your minions coming around to your house um, every morning, uh, because you have influence over the politics of the um, of the city, not just the city, but actually the uh, cultural landscape that is Rome, at least back then. So if I need something from you, I would ask, and then certainly I would return and say, what can you give me? So that's this whole idea of give and take. Um, imagine like buying votes, all right, to get your candidates um, in um, in office or causing, um, like a a a riot in the streets. So you're that so would never happen people. now.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I've read some
1: things and yeah. I've seen some things on the news. I think I saw it live too. Um, there I mean, there's stories where you know uh, Julius Caesar before he goes off to uh, Gaul stages. Um, a riot in the streets, so a candidate does not get appointed. There's just so much melee uh, and bloodshed and violence in the streets of Rome that day that they don't hold the election. So you'd think that how can that possibly ever occur in modern times? And you, but you know, you can see it all the time. So there's that whole idea. I think Chicago worked out pretty well as a um, as a mirror of that type of system, you know, what can you give to me? And if you can't, then you have nothing for me, but I'm gonna go over here to kind of um, see what I can get from somebody else to, to once again, keep me in power, uh, make the policies that are gonna benefit me, possibly line my pockets or something, right? So you have all the um, scandals of the recent, like last couple of decades, like Silver Shovel, which is a whole collection of judges, rounded up by the FBI in the sting um, gray
0: Lord yeah gray
1: yeah exactly so that's when my um, influence at the uh, the uh, traffic court kind of like stopped so <laughs> so I, so I did benefit from that system because my, my mother would always say you know if you get in trouble don't call me call your grandfather so he was this old Irish guy who knew everyone
0: yeah
1: everybody because he's from that area um like Brandon halstead and um he had you know influence and that's that's how it works and then as you mentioned before you can still see that today right you can see it in our um, um in the halls of congress that kind of thing it's all about influence and um
0: lobbyists and access. So, yeah.
1: And then that, that happened, you know, 2000 years ago as well. All right. So this is why you need to know your history is what I would tell the kids because at least the students, you're going to see it again.
0: These are the rules of the game in a way. This is it. Informal. And they, didn't, they
1: didn't start yesterday. They started yeah. thousands of years ago because somebody needed something and somebody had a little bit more and I can share or we can coexist or we can you know, you can kind of help me get a little bit taller in the political scene. So, and again, those things happen today
0: as well. Well, one thing I think I see is the arguments today seem so acrimonious and and angry, and it's almost as if these are the first time that any of these things have ever happened. And. Yeah. It really isn't. Most of the the names all change and the, the, the immediate circumstances change. But, you know, as you learn about other cultures, other times, <laughs> other problems that people were having, you see yeah. some of these same kind of things are almost oh, no, the endemic to the species.
1: That's it. The techniques haven't changed. So that's it. Whatever. Because it still works. We see that it's still, it still works. Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, the opinions, great. This is where your beliefs are different than mine. Uh, How you react to it though. That's kind of your cultural background as well. All right. So we, some groups choose to be um, violent. Some choose to shout and yell and some choose to sit down and discuss openly. Right. The situation is the problem. So, and that's again, one of my goals, History teacher was there are you know better ways than picking up the club right grabbing a rock or kicking in the door um, certainly better ways to get your point across but it does take a certain amount of intelligence so and you got to sit down you got to think you got to read and then you can then you have the chance to kind of uh, give your analysis of a situation because it's based on sound information
0: and emotional intelligence as well. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So we've seen
1: that. Yes, absolutely. Even just the
0: courtesy of waiting for the other person to finish their argument. And then, then it's your turn.
1: That's a skill. Yeah. it's a skill that has to be learned. Um, even in myself as well. Uh, but you, you have to, as you sit, listen, learn how to listen. And then the disagreement comes, present your side. Hopefully, um, you don't feel like you're being, um, well, no one likes to feel cheated. Certainly. If you've taken the time to get your point across, um, to present your facts, listen to somebody else's. But um, yeah, no one wants to feel cheated. And when they do, that's where that uh, emotional context needs to kind of be uh, a bit more mature than what we've
0: seen possibly uh, the last couple of years. One thing I, would like to learn more about is the history of individual cities, whether you're talking Detroit or Chicago or, you know, Cincinnati or outside these areas, you know, San Francisco or New York. And what can one city learn from another city's ups and downs? And well, hopefully uh, it's
1: not that they share, they share problems, um, but they probably do. Right. Um, infrastructure certainly, um, how to get that improved and, you know, the, the better the roads are, the better the businesses. And that kind of brings in, um, uh, greater economic stability. All right. So cities that have mastered that people, people should kind of take a look and see and ask questions on what they've done and how it was uh, successful, um, Certain cities are located in different areas geographically, obviously, uh, for those specific, you know, specific purpose. Um, Those cities along like the major rivers, uh, transportation, commerce. uh, So we saw that with Chicago, it was in the perfect place at the perfect time. So other cities that are near um, major waterways and have access to um, railroads. As we saw that with uh, Stephen Douglas, we'll take a look at that. Um, that certainly boomed right, immediately. I think Chicago is a, was is still has the record for the fastest growing city in the world, population wise. I
0: did not know that.
1: It, it's it literally exploded, it literally exploded. Um, some would say maybe too fast to kind of catch those individuals who were kind of making the fast buck. And they continue to do so with that. Just my take on it. But yeah, it's the the fastest growing city. Um, So again, if you you knew that, you can see why um, maybe I can duplicate that. Maybe I can kind of replicate that with my city as well, or at least get policies passed that would make uh, effective growth. Not just growth to line my pockets, but certainly uh, growth that would benefit The rest of the city, but then that might take a certain kind of individual who's not interested in lining their own pockets first.
0: There are some, but you know, this reminds me of after the Chicago fire, when a large amount of the city was suddenly vacant. Uh, wasn't that when Daniel Burnham and others came in and redesigned the city along a more functional, um, design that initially the roads were all sort of curved and followed the usual, you know, cow paths and whatnot. And the things were clustered. And then they brought in a certain order with the boulevards and the parks uh, and the ring of green spaces around the perimeter Mm -hmm. in order to make the city work better. And then that was a great moment where they had one chance to get it right. And they did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, again, all the land, all the rubble, pushed into the lake to kind of create um, uh, the, the green space there with Lakeshore Drive eventually. Um, uh, using the rivers, because they worked out really well, not just for transportation, um, but for sanitation. So when they reversed the Chicago River to kind of take the sewage to St. Louis. So was, <laughs> This is our and,
0: gift to you.
1: So you're welcome. And so it certainly worked out. In um, our benefit, but in the design of the city is certainly it's not like you know, Washington DC or um, Philadelphia, it is more based on the grid, which does allow easier traffic. We still have the diagonal streets of the old um, uh, animal trackways, so like Milwaukee Avenue and Waukegan, um, they serve a purpose as well, right? Straight line, um, but the city design itself certainly does. Made it a bit more conducive for um, travel and trade, which once again increased um, um, commerce, which kind of made the city even greater. So it worked out.
0: Well, I uh, uh, I thank you. So, do you have any uh, any advice for Chicagoans regarding uh, teaching history or <laughs> subject? But uh, sure, and uh, you should
1: yeah, you should know your history, and then it all depends. As I tell told my students, that be careful of the history that you do read. If somebody put it down on paper for even in text, especially in textbooks. Um, you should understand, you know, where you're from, and it's going to help you kind of be able to open up new places to go to. Um, so even if you're small roadside historical marker, stop, take a look, read it and understand where it's coming from. So, cause most of these are specific to an event that you hopefully maybe stop and think and say, what's the other side of this? So what, who put this up? Who put this historical marker up? Why is it important for me? And then what does it really mean? So this is where I'd love to drive. love to stop, Driving to El Paso, you pass through Billy the Kid um, County, so Lincoln County, and there's multiple places that you can stop and take a look at those things. And you go, well, This is, you know, like, oh, how fascinating. This is a historical um, figure, um, you know, a, a youngster out on his own making his uh, his life in the uh, Southwest. And you kind of think, Well, he's kind of a hired gun. You want know, to kind of step back and take a look at that. So you're going to glamorize it, or you're going to kind of take a look at the um, the real uh, history of it. So you have to, yeah, you have, certainly have to um, understand the history that you're um, trying to find out. So don't just take it at face value, as I told my students. Read it, find something else, um, investigate for yourselves. So, you know, if you, I would always ask my kids, like, to turn the TV off and uh, go outside. Go outside find something that, you know, didn't see before. So, we would always do a, uh, like, a, we'd start with the Chicago neighborhood, but before that, we we did Oak Park. Since Percy Julian uh, Middle School is in Oak Park, I would say, well, take a look at, around your neighborhood. You know, why are there certain houses here? And any individuals who used to live there, can you kind of point them out? What gives your neighborhood a uh, sense of place? Why would people want to visit? So, you kind of certainly accentuate the positives, but. You also want to make sure that, hey, this also happened here, and here's why. So it would give somebody else uh, a chance to, you know, make up their own um, opinions about uh, the history that they read. So hopefully that
0: helps them grow. Well, I uh, I think that's great advice, you know. And, and, and the more data points you pull in and the more you tie them together, the stronger that whole – network is and the more resilient and the more able (laughs) we are to understand what's happening at this moment, uh, rather than just be surprised over and over and over again. Yeah, definitely.
1: So yeah, good point. I mean, if you are surprised by the history, you go, wait a minute, I should have seen that coming. Yes, you should have because it was right in front of you. You chose not to turn the page. So we want to make sure that uh, you can, again, do your research. Do your so research. Of asking me, that as the kids would always ask. me, it's like, well, "What do you think about?" It's so like, do your research, and you I, tell I, me. Here's that, what I found, and then what did you find? And then we would talk and have a conversation on uh, the different ideas that come from like the
0: same subject.
1: Right? Now you're thinking. Now you want to analyze this and then make it make it uh, work for you.
0: So, I think that's perfect. In fact, we'll name this episode "Do Your Research." All right. Then. It's ideal. All, All right. right. Well, Let's Mr. Get... John Turk, thank you very much for taking the time and effort to join us today. And oh, uh, my
1: pleasure, doctor. My pleasure.
0: I really appreciate it. Tip of the hat to you, sir. Thanks again for listening. And if you have a topic you would like to have us discuss or comments or feedback, please either log on to www.paulbryanroach.com. That's Brian with a Y and click on the About and Contact page, or send them directly to letters at paulbryanroach.com.